Hey everyone, and welcome to Oscar Wild, a podcast about film always counting down to next year's Oscars. I'm Sophia Simonello. And I'm Nick Rookrout. And today we have a great episode planned for you. We will be going into some new VOD releases. We'll be talking all about Baby Teeth, Shirley, Wasp Network, and The King of Staten Island. But before we get into those, let's talk about some more changes to award season. And shockingly, we haven't had any changes to the Oscars. It's been pretty quiet, which I don't mind. Things aren't so hectic this week. Yeah, for sure. The biggest change that we have is that the Golden Globes are now going to be on February 28th. So they'll be in that slot that was previously held by the Oscars. And the Critics' Choice Awards have been pushed to April 7th. So I think we can assume that other award shows are going to follow the Academy's lead and will fill those spots in between the Golden Globes and the Oscars. What do you think about Tina and Amy hosting the Golden Globes again? I think they're going to be great. I'm really looking forward to it. I think they're a wonderful hosting duo. Can't wait to see them again. But I'm also excited to see who else they decide to go after. I mean, bring the whole crew back. Yeah, they love to bring people up. I mean, I think back to Kristen and Maya at the Oscars where they did their acting skit. Yeah, that was kind of when we had a lull and then seeing them out on stage together was just so much fun. So our next little segment, since it was Father's Day this past weekend, we just wanted to share our top five movie dads. (laughs) I cannot wait for this. I am so excited. (laughs) With So I know with you, this is, I have a feeling where it's going to go. I, I kind of threw things together and I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> what is that supposed to mean? Well, we know our, our fave DDL is going to be on there and mine are like so random. I'm not sure anyone could guess like all five. So <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> that makes me even more excited to hear your list. I cannot wait. It's going to be so fun. So you said yours are ranked, but mine aren't. So I'll start with a, a really heartbreaking one, which was. Michael Stuhlbarg from Call Me By Your Name, who gave probably one of, if not the best dad speech ever to Elio. I mean, it's an iconic father-son scene, and I'm so glad that you put it on your list. Yeah, it's will always hold a place in my heart. And it's honestly from the book to the movie, it's like word for word, which I was very happy with. While the movie strays in other parts, this was perfectly done. So what's your what's your five? So my number five is not a sentimental pick. It is purely looks and vibe based. This man slash character is what I think of when I think of a hot dad. Oh god, don't say do not say Brad Pitt in the tree of life. <laughs> no, I did think about it though. Okay. <laughs> he wasn't my short list. It's Dennis Quaid as Nick Parker in The Parent Trap. Okay, I'm into that. I like that a lot. (laughs) I mean, the scene when he picks Annie as Hallie up at the airport, and he's just like, Mm -hmm. welcome home, Hal. And he's just like a perfect dad with the dad jeans and the tan. Yes, the California tan. Does he ever have a cowboy hat on or no? Oh, he sure does when they're driving home from the airport. (laughs) Peak dad for me, despite his problematic parenting techniques he has that vineyard like not for me now because i'm 27 (laughs) meredith was 26 it's just an unfortunate reality okay my number four is gonna be robin williams from mrs doubtfire oh my gosh i love this (laughs) he's so enthusiastic quirky he just has so much fun with the role and he just wants to see his kids and be with them and he does anything he can even if Sally Fields gets in the way. So in Pierce Brosnan too. I always think of him when I see a Mercedes. Like to this day, I watch this movie so often as a kid. And I agree with you. I think he's a great movie dad and mm-hmm. Robin Williams plays him so well. Okay, number 4. Okay, so my next pick I think just embodies the embarrassing but loving movie dad and that is Chevy Chase as Clark Griswold from Vacation, Christmas Vacation. I think he's perfect. Yeah. I think that was my number six actually. He almost made it. Even, yeah, Vegas Vacation dad wouldn't have made it, but Christmas Vacation dad would have. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, Christmas Vacation Dad is perfect. When he gets trapped in the attic, when they go Christmas shopping, and he's just watching those home movies and crying, and the hilarious scene, of course, where they go get the Christmas tree, his commitment mm-hmm. to family traditions and the Christmas spirit and making totally. new traditions is such a dad thing. That makes me think of like It's a Wonderful Life and Jimmy Stewart. Ugh. I really wanted to put that on here because I love George Bailey. He's another one I've always had a dad crush on and love him, but I thought that mm-hmm. that film was, while well, I love it, more about self-discovery and I wanted to keep it more about the dads. <laughs> okay, my next pick is going to be Marlon from Finding Nemo. <laughs> I was wondering if you were going to do an animated one, but I thought you might do the dad from Inside Out. Also thought about it, but yes, Marlin travels the seven seas, meets a ton of random sea creatures along the way just to find his son. So another touching father-son movie in an odd way, but (laughs) nevertheless. Okay, so my number three is from a fairly recent movie, and that is Tracy Letts as Larry McPherson in Lady Bird. I think that he is just the sweetest dad. He helps her with her financial aid applications. They just have a really wonderful relationship and a good understanding Mm -hmm. of each other that I just love. I love when, you know, he sends the letters off to school with her. And I think he has just such a good understanding of her mom too in their relationship and exactly I think he's just a really kind loving movie dad who is just so expertly realized and put together by Greta Gerwig of course and Tracy Letts and I think like for example when he's like but don't tell your mother like he's still a little afraid of her I think that's just everything that you want from a movie dad yeah I totally agree one of just all the characters in that movie but that transformed Tracy Lutz for me and like every time I see him now it's like oh what's he gonna do love him and married to Carrie Coon in real life oh my gosh I didn't know that oh my god what a duo Carrie Coon seriously power couple I think I've told you about when I like skipped her in line right no I feel like I would have remembered that what another memory from the New York Film Festival (laughs) Oh my gosh, you're like crying emotionally telling me this. When I volunteered, I know I'm (laughs) literally sweating. This is what she does to me. I had to rush to the box office to get a ticket. As a volunteer, they had tickets for everybody. And they were like, oh, just skip them. And I looked and it was Carrie Coon. I was like, I cannot skip Carrie Coon in line. Are you kidding me? So I was like, excuse me. Sorry. (laughs) Like ran away. Wow. She's stunning. What a great story. I love that so much. So a little problematic, but my next dad is Juan from Moonlight. Great pick. He was on my short list too. <laughs> While he's a little problematic, you know, he's a drug dealer. Everything he does for Chiron is because he's a good fatherly figure for him and just wants the best for Chiron, finds him huddled in this abandoned apartment building from kids bullying him. And then, you know, he takes him in. Helps him out. He knows who his mom is. She's one of his customers. So he just watches over him. And it also has a truly transcendent performance by Mahershal Ali. So I'm going with an emotional pick here. This movie dad is one of my favorite performances in one of my favorite best picture winners ever. Nick, I can't remember. Have you seen Ordinary People? I I don't think I have. It's always on my list to watch because it did well at the Oscars, but... You have to watch it. I won't spoil it, but Donald Sutherland plays a father who is trying to keep his family together, and it is one of the best films about mental health, about grief and depression, and what happens to a family after a loss that I've ever seen, and his performance is just so strong and so beautiful, especially opposite Mary Tyler Moore's who she does a phenomenal job in it too, but she plays this Mm -hmm. really cold, icy Midwestern mother who wants to pretend that nothing happened. And one of, I think the biggest Oscar travesties is that Donald Sutherland wasn't nominated for an Oscar for his performance here. 
Mary Tyler Moore was nominated. Judd Hirsch was nominated. Timothy Hutton, of course, who ended up winning. They were all nominated, and he's never been nominated before. So I guarantee you also, if you have a dad who has seen this movie and you bring up Donald Sutherland, he will completely agree with you that it was one of the greatest snubs because it's just an amazing performance. Well, I'm sure we'll get there at some point with our best of the decade picks. (laughs) We sure will. Nick, what's your last pick? So my last pick for my favorite film, Dad, one of my favorite movies of all time, is Roberto Benigni as Guido in Life is Beautiful. Talk about a heartbreaking dad pick. He, uh, it's a very romanticized film. So he's, Guido is dad to Josue, and it's 1930s Italy. Their entire family gets sent to a concentration camp, and the whole film is essentially Guido masking the camp to his very young son, and he makes it into a huge game for him. And I've watched this so many times, analyzed it in film class, and it's so beautiful. It is such a beautiful performance, and... Roberto Benigni have won Best Actor for a foreign film, which rarely ever happens. And of course, he climbed over all of the seats to get to the stage. And definitely recommend checking out that Oscar speech on YouTube if you haven't watched it before. He runs down. Yeah, it's just everything about it is amazing. Okay, what's your last one? So my last pick is not from an Oscar-nominated movie at all. It is from one of my favorite romantic comedies. And that movie dad is Jude Law in The Holiday. I think that he is just such a great father to his two girls. He builds them that really cool fort. He's Mr. Napkinhead. He's in touch with his emotions. He has a great career. And he is just beautiful (laughs) in this movie. If I could have any movie dad, if I was Cameron Diaz in this movie, I would be thrilled. I'm like... Kate Winslet who has to have Jack Black (laughs) (laughs) so that is my list I know with that I feel like no DDL no Matthew McConaughey no Brad Pitt I'm very surprised by your list more of a heartwarming list which I also like yeah I think that their appeal to me is more as real life dads actually I really wanted to find a way to put Brad Pitt on this list I was really thinking about it and I told you I almost put Brad Pitt in the tree of life on because I think he looks amazing in that movie, but I just couldn't. And then I wanted to put Matthew McConaughey in Interstellar, but again, just didn't fit. I was going to say him in that one, but also not the best dad. I'm not going to put Daniel Day-Lewis in There Will Be Blood. He's a horrible father to HW. I wasn't about to do that. And don't worry, I have a place to talk about DDL soon. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, I was going to say the only other Matthew McConaughey potential is from Serenity. Oh, Serenity. (laughs) I recommend Serenity to people in the way that I recommend Ma to people. You can only watch it for how bad it is. It is truly humorous. Just how horrible this movie is. And you really just can't even believe what is happening until it's all over i gave this a one out of five on letterboxd so it's not great i would say that's about what it deserves i mean the average rating is two which you know even for everyone on there it's like "Mm, not great (laughs) (laughs) well that was a lot of fun i can't believe we got around to serenity but i'm glad our dads didn't even overlap that's surprising awesome so next up we're gonna start talking about some vod picks that have been out so our first movie up it was actually released on netflix last friday is wasp network directed by olivier assayas it has a pretty big cast but the three biggest names are penelope cruz gail garcia bernal and ana de armas it's based on the book the last soldiers of the cold war by fernando Moraes. And the IMDb description is the story of five Cuban political prisoners who had been imprisoned by the United States since the late 1990s on charges of espionage and murder. Just a little slightly misleading. As IMDb descriptions usually are. Not always the best. What did you think about this one? So I found it to be particularly challenging to watch on Netflix. There was just a lot going on and... I couldn't really tell what type of movie it thought it was, what it was trying to be. 
it was hard to kind of figure out where it was going. And I did feel bogged down by a lot of information. I think there are really good performances in it, though. Penelope Cruz's performance was, I thought, the best. And that's probably not a surprise. What did you think of it? That was the same for me. Overall, it was a little confusing. I didn't really know about this historically. And you do learn quite a bit, but it's also hard as this being the sole artifact that you're learning from because it transitions between locations, characters, and even time periods so frequently it's hard to maintain your direction throughout the entire narrative. So I I did like certain parts of it. I thought the beginning was interesting. I thought I knew what I was getting into, but then it kind of turns into this whole thing. And like the IMDB description says, you know, they were charged on espionage by the U.S. government because they're in Miami, but it really doesn't involve them at all. That kind of comes towards the very end. So there's a lot that happens in Cuba and concerning other characters, other organizations. And by the time it gets here, I just was a little lost. I did love Penelope, especially towards the end. She's very emotional and is entirely believable. And then Anna's wardrobe through the entire movie is just wearing these like flowy dresses and very beautiful patterns and that was like the most fun to watch we know she's going to be featured in a lot of movies shortly so she was kind of fun to bring it back a little younger too because it's it's a fairly older cast yeah i loved anna's wardrobe in this i thought that the costumes especially hers really were a standout to me I'll also say, going back to some of the points that you made about the content and just having a lot of different characters and time periods going in and out, I actually thought that this movie would have been better as a Netflix limited series or even multi-series television show. I really think that that format, which I rarely ever say, to be honest, would have been better for unfolding the story for developing these characters and for all of the content that he packed in i agree this isn't really a spoiler but like anna's last scene they just like fade out as she's crying and like worked up and like that's it and we don't know we're not going to see her again but it's like her storyline was kind of unresolved but it was also showing how supporting she was to her husband but still it was like there was no period to her existence i guess so yeah it was just a little messy so even though it's messy if you had to give anyone anything from wasp network one oscar what would you give it can we like not i mean (laughs) i mean i guess i would nominate penelope for supporting that's probably it maybe like a screenplay nod but mm, no i feel the same way (laughs) I wasn't blown away by anything in this, but if I had to give it an Oscar, it would be for Penelope. So our next movie that we will be talking about is Josephine Decker's follow-up to Madeline's Madeline called Shirley. So going by IMDb here, a famous horror writer finds inspiration for her next book after she and her husband take in a young couple. This film stars Elizabeth Moss in the titular role as Shirley, famously Shirley Jackson, It also stars Michael Stolbarg, Logan Lerman, and Odessa Young. Before we get into what you thought about the movie generally, what were your impressions that you had of Shirley Jackson going in? I didn't really know much. And I think as I was was bored throughout this movie, I looked up her bibliography online and like realized that she had made some pretty amazing works. So I'm interested in reading her books, but was I interested in this movie... (laughs) Not so much. Yeah, it's hard because Shirley Jackson, the person, has a more interesting life than Shirley, the character. Mm -hmm. And that was just perplexing for me. I think growing up reading stories like The Lottery, which are staples in American literature, she is a very influential figure to authors everywhere for gothic stories, horror, mystery And on paper, this film should have worked so well for me. Mm -hmm. I love gothic and macabre elements. She's a writer. I love literature. I love period films. It takes place in Bennington, Vermont. I used to live in Vermont, but unfortunately, it fell short. And 
I'm excited to talk about why with you because I know that it didn't work entirely for you either. So what didn't you like about it? I think Elizabeth's performance was the best part. It was a bit chaotic. I think the story of the younger couple just kind of fell flat, I guess. It was filmed in such an odd way that kind of took me out and I wasn't like rooting for somebody per se. There's not much story here either, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. There are definitely movies that do this well, but nothing like added up to where I was intrigued enough. What about you? I actually found the young couple to be a pretty interesting foil to Shirley and her husband, Stanley. I'll just say also, Stanley is a terribly annoying character, played by Michael Stolberg. I actually found both of the men in this movie rather weak, which was kind of hilarious. I was much more interested in the relationship between the two women, between Shirley and Rose, played by Odessa Young. I found their relationship far more compelling and it was interesting to see their scenes together and contrast them with their scenes with their husbands. I also found a lot of the filmmaking techniques to be really interesting. As I'm talking through this, maybe I did like this film more than I'm letting on. I just held it to too high of a standard at the beginning. But I did like some of those techniques. I thought that the fantasy sequences were particularly impressive. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of shots that I did find really unique and interesting. And I think that this film, if you're going to watch a Josephine Decker film, this one is far more easily accessible than Madeline's Madeline, which uses some of the same styles. But I do think what's interesting is that Josephine Decker is really cementing herself as this up-and-coming indie filmmaker with a very specific, distinctive vision and style. I mean, it's very much tied to, like, experimental avant-garde. Madeline's Madeline is much more like that, but it's very abstract. So I told you I was going to bring up Daniel Day-Lewis. Now is that time. This, on paper, has a lot in common with Phantom Thread. (laughs) But I just wasn't riveted or interested in the characters in the story as much as I want it to be. And Mm -hmm. you know that I love a good scene where a character is foraging for poisonous mushrooms. (laughs) That was great to me. (laughs) I loved that. I also enjoyed the scene where she spills the wine on the couch. I thought that was great. I also thought it was such a good commentary on women and their expectations of other women living back then. So again, it has some great stuff packed in there. And I also thought it was interesting that this is not a standard biopic. In a way, it's kind of the anti-biopic. It is playing with that genre in really interesting ways. And I think instead of capturing the things that you see in a biopic more often, it is touching on themes that Shirley Jackson incorporates into her stories of looking at the more sinister side that might be hidden underneath a bucolic environment. And I think that that is really interesting and maybe I just need to revisit it again. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting that the movie is based on a novel written by Susan Scarf Merrill, but also seems to be based on a novel written by Shirley Jackson, which is called Hangs a Man. All one word. I'm not sure I've seen that before where it's like combining two different source materials. Yeah, the script is really interesting. I did think it was pretty dense, but there are some good one-liners in it that I enjoyed. So if you are interested in checking out Shirley, it is available to stream on Hulu. If I had to give this movie one Oscar, it would definitely be Elizabeth Moss. I thought she was really excellent in this film. I don't think it's going to get a lot of attention just because of its timing but who knows this year I hope she does get the attention she deserves for it I wonder if Marty feels the same way he might oh right probably he might put a little campaign together for her okay so a little break we have our next two coming up but first we just want to start a new segment on this day in Oscar history so For today, June 25th, there are quite a few people who have born and died today and then films released, but the most notable is... One of my favorite directors of all time, Sidney Lumet. Sidney Lumet has directed a number of amazing films, but my favorite of his is the 
iconic Best Picture winner network. If you want to watch a film that is all about the 70s, yet somehow all about today in the media and in the news, I highly recommend watching Network. It also features a wonderful performance by Faye Dunaway. (laughs) She's a bit problematic, of course, but plays the villain Diana Christensen so well. And then he also directed one of my favorites, actually my number two favorite film of all time, 12 Angry Men, which is just like a classic courtroom drama where the jury deliberates. There's one man who doesn't believe the whole film is him trying to convince the rest of the jury that there is doubt in the case. So it's a very interesting film and the direction is just phenomenal. The angles he uses, it's black and white. Everything is done perfectly. It's a classic. I definitely recommend that one. I also love Dog Day Afternoon. We talked about that Mm -hmm. on the last episode a little bit, but it is a classic all-in-one-day bank robbery thriller starring Al Pacino. If you love The Godfather, it has a little Michael and Fredo reunion. So that is also a classic Sidney Lumet. I think those are his biggest three. Those are his biggest, yeah. He He definitely has a lot more, but those are some really good picks. So along with June 25th, in terms of the movie's release today, goes all the way back to the first Academy Awards. It's called The Way of All Flesh, released in 1927, and Emil Jannings won an Oscar for Best Actor. And then with Shaft in 1971, that won Best Original Song from its theme. And then in 1976, The Omen won Best Original Score. I love the Omen score. This score is so creepy. I love this movie too. Definitely watch the 1976 version with Gregory Peck and Lee Remick. Do not watch the remakes. I would recommend this to anyone who loves genre horror. And I think similarly to a lot of horror films, this score really makes it. I don't know, maybe it's because I went to Catholic schools that it freaks me out so bad. But it is a really, really good devil horror movie has a demon (laughs) child all of that some other movies released on this day were romance on the high seas blade runner sleepless in seattle so a lot of different ones but definitely with that summer vibe to it so we will definitely keep updating you on days in film and oscar history that was fun our next film that we are going to talk about is baby teeth baby teeth is an australian film directed by Shannon Murphy in her directorial debut. It stars Eliza Scanlon, Ben Mendelsohn, and Essie Davis. And this film follows Mila, a seriously ill teenager who falls in love with a drug dealer named Moses, who is her parents' worst nightmare. Nick, what did you think of Baby Teeth? I thought the acting was good, but the story was a little bizarre, and it kind of goes all over the place, too. And there were way too many titles in the movie. What did you think? Out of everything that was going on in this movie, I thought that the performances were really what stood out to me. I always am a fan of Ben Mendelsohn and Eliza Scanlon. Mm -hmm. And I think that this film proved that they really do have a lot of range and can take on anything. Thinking about Eliza Scanlon, who is somewhat of a newcomer, I think after seeing her as... Mila in Baby Teeth as Beth in Little Women and in my favorite role of hers as Emma in Sharp Objects, we really do now know that she can do anything. And I'm really excited to see any role that she takes on next. What was hard for me, I think because of the information that we know and what we don't know and the ways that the story is told... In order for a movie that's about terminal illness to really work for me, I have to feel some type of emotional connection to the characters or to the story that's going on. And because of issues that I found in the narrative, I couldn't really connect. And it's not hard for me to be emotionally moved by a film. I'm pretty easy to get in that way. But it wasn't, it didn't work for me in that way. And I wanted it to. What, how did you feel about this? I totally agree. I didn't really connect until the very end when there's this flashback to the beach and Ben, who plays Mila's dad in the movie, he breaks down and he like knows what's 
going to happen and he's trying to keep it together and like seeing that internal battle was so powerful I did really like that coda and it made it easier to look back at the film and see the interesting Mm -hmm. things that she laid out that I might not have been as receptive to before, but I did kind of take me out of it for a second because I just thought about how this is the second Eliza Scanlon movie we've had where she's been (laughs) ill on a beach thinking about Beth and Little Women. I think it was very vulnerable of her to go through the movie either way and she does do an amazing job at showing us the ups and downs of being terminally ill so however she did her research she did a great job definitely and I will say that I was intrigued enough to want to see Shannon Murphy's future features I think that this was an interesting first one for sure and if you're interested it is available to rent on VOD on iTunes so if it sounds appealing to you check it out okay so for a final picture we're going to talk about the king of Staten Island I'm so excited to talk about this one with you. So this is obviously the biggest of the four that we've talked about. And I think maybe just the biggest VOD release, this whole COVID stretch. So just general information. It was directed by Judd Apatow, starring Pete Davidson, Marissa Tomei, Bill Burr, Steve Buscemi, Belle Pauli, and the incredible, my favorite, Pamela Adlin, who is the star of Better Things, show on FX. I've never seen it. Oh my God. It is incredible. I would rewatch the whole thing tonight. She is just an amazing mom going back to Father's Day. She would make definitely make my list of top five moms. So the, the IMDb description is that Scott, who's played by Pete Davidson, has been a case of arrested development since his firefighter dad died he spends his day smoking weed and dreaming of being a tattoo artist until events force him to grapple with his grief and take his first steps forward in life what are your overall thoughts on this one I actually really liked it way more than I anticipated I'm not the biggest Judd Apatow fan like I'll watch Mm -hmm. his movies some of them I do find to be pretty funny but I'm not rushing to the theater or in this case to my TV to watch a new Apatow release. What I really liked about it was that I felt like it was a departure from his other films actually. There is this familiar Apatow arc to it of this guy who is trying to figure out his life and is dealing with immaturity and has this awakening of sorts but I felt that it was more than that. I thought that while there were some elements of Pete Davidson's real life in it His father was a firefighter who died in 9-11. So we do have that, but we don't have stand-ins for Ariana Grande and Kate Beckinsale. We don't have to watch him try to figure out his life as a stand-up comedian. So I liked that it was about Scott, the character. While incorporating some elements of Pete Davidson's life, it it didn't feel as glamorous as I was expecting. And to me, that's why it felt like a departure. It had the signature comedy. It had these emotional moments and just a stellar supporting cast that we can definitely talk about later. But I liked that it felt more thoughtful. So I don't really know Pete Davidson at all. This is crazy to me. I never saw him on (laughs) SNL. I don't know about his stand-up career. My history with Judd Apatow is not great. I am not a huge fan of his type of humor. I think like 40-year-old virgin will be a classic. That's fine. But like knocked up, no thank you. This is 40, no thank you. So it's a little mixed. Oh, I like knocked up. Have you seen Funny People? So I thought that was a totally different movie when I when I heard the title and I watched the trailer and I was like, mm. I mean like Adam Sandler, Seth Rogen, not, not my comedy duo usually. <laughs> I do love that he puts Leslie Mann in most of his movies. Oh, for sure. Love Leslie Mann. But on this movie, I take out the fact that it was way too long, and I really liked it. That's like my biggest criticism. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's probably my biggest criticism of any of his movies. They are always, always, always too long. Like, you could cut half an hour easily in some cases, I feel. I think he he wants this realism and these long takes of conversations, but it almost seems like they don't fit because as they're as they were happening in this movie I was like why why are we doing this and it was just like so long could have been shortened and you know just made more powerful so I think 
there is where I could find the most time saved. I honestly loved Pete Davidson. His humor, I I love. So I feel like that embodiment of Judd is my favorite version of him. Okay, interesting. Talk more about Pete Davidson because you had no preconceived <laughs> notion or opinion of him as a celebrity. So I want to hear like what what did you like about him? He seems like he could be a really loud person and somebody that I would hate in real life. But I think he has such a charisma and persona on screen that he is like a very warm-hearted person. So despite his relationship drama with Kelsey, who is played by Belle Pauly. Who is great in this. Absolutely loved. She is one of my favorites that I ever see. And she's usually supporting which is upsetting because she is, I know she, she's she been lead in some smaller pictures, but absolutely love seeing her, her humor, everything about her. So how do you feel about Pete? So I think he's really good in this, but it is hard for me to separate Scott, the character, from Pete Davidson, the celebrity, which I think is why I, I liked that they didn't incorporate all these events from Pete's life in the movie because he has had such high-profile relationships. And I've always been, quite frankly, confused as to why someone as beautiful as Kate Beckinsale would be like making out courtside with him. I don't know. Well, have you seen who she's dating now? No. Oh, no. <laughs> he is a 22-year-old. Kate. Like, tattooed, <laughs> buzzed white guy. It's like the same look. So she definitely has a type. And she's like... 47 it's a little I mean unsettling. good for her I guess I guess I get his appeal but just have never been attracted to him were you attracted to him I kind of was like I I am into the tattoo vibe which is a little break my question for you I'm a little a little over under oh god I'm nervous now <laughs> do you think he has over under 75 tattoos oh god um under i would guess he has let's say 51 so for this movie the only one that's different is the one he talks about with kermit the frog smoking but his recent tattoo count has come to 104 no way that is more than double what i guessed yeah. that is crazy and I, he's not like saturated. He definitely has a lot of tattoos and that's like his character who is not his real life person. So do you want to know what I think of Pete Davidson? <laughs> <laughs> Either you're like totally obsessed or you could never look at him on the street. I'm going to start by saying that being in quarantine, my taste in men has diminished significantly. <laughs> but... <laughs> There's only room for one weird-looking hot man on my roster, and that man is Adam Driver. <laughs> I feel like you either like one or the other, and I prefer Adam. I think they have similar traits. They're both very tall. They both have these faces where when you first look at them, you think, am I attracted to them? What is this? And I just, I feel that for Adam, and I don't feel it for Pete. But I understand. Yeah. I mean, I thought in the movie... He was pretty cute. Okay. I have a question for you, not related to Pete Davidson. Are you ready? Oh, okay. Do you know who plays Joanne, Maude Apatow's friend in the movie? No, but I also love Maude Apatow. Love so Maude Apatow. That's She's another... great in this too. No, I don't. None other than Pauline Chalamet, Timothy Chalamet's sister. <gasps> yes. Oh, wow. That's so cool. Oh my gosh. No resemblance. Oh, see, I feel like they kind of look like siblings. Like, if they stood next to each other, you could tell. Oh, that's fair. Yeah. I see the, like, French face in her. Oh, there they are. For our listeners, Nick is showing me a picture of Timothy and Pauline Chalamet over Zoom right now. I mean, you know which one I'm picking, so... <laughs> <laughs> it does have a really great supporting cast, though. Thinking about the supporting actors in it, was Belle your favorite? I think so. Belle was incredible. I mean, going back to Pamela in Better Things, she's very in control. She has an older mom across the street that she takes care of, and she just kind of navigates her life so well, but also there's so much chaos. And I think in this movie, she's a little quieter. She has a little bit of that sharp vulgarity, but not as much as the show, which is what I love about it so much. 
Marissa Tomei was incredible too. I think her little jab, especially when she's drinking wine with her friend and kicks him out, was <laughs> I did not see that coming. Yeah, I loved Marissa Tomei in this. I almost wish though at times that we would focus less on Pete Davidson, less on Scott, and more on the supporting characters because my favorite supporting performance was actually from Bill Burr. I thought that he did a really great job and it was a really surprising performance to me. I thought it had a lot of depth to it and it was something that I really wasn't expecting. I mean, he's not one to like right off the bat and I think that makes it a little difficult, but he does give a good performance. Even Steve Buscemi in that vein because, you know, as the whole firefighter crew, them taking in Pete is fun to watch. But I agree, there's really no bad performance. Pete shines... If anyone were nominated, who would you give it to? Oh, I think I would definitely pick Bill Burr for Best Supporting Actor. I think that the Academy isn't great at recognizing performers who are in genre films other than dramas, right? They don't recognize horror actors, and they especially don't recognize comedians. And I thought that this was a really complex performance, so I would honor that. I also really love this scene when... They are all singing one headlight, all the firefighters. I thought that was just beautiful and just this great moment of acceptance for Scott and for the firefighters together and just singing along, no one exactly knowing the words. I thought it was just a lot of fun. And I read in an interview with Variety that Pete Davidson and his dad used to listen to that song together in the car. So just a nice little touch of a connection to his own life. I think the most touching scene was when he goes to the hospital and his mom finds him and Ray working together and then when he shows her the tattoos I think that's like a very touching moment I like that scene a lot because there is still humor but it's you know it leans dramatic and emotional I think it was very powerful and earnest for Pete to not only participate but to like give a lot of this from his real life like you said earlier his dad was a firefighter who died in 9-11 and his dad's name was Scott and that's Pete's name in the movie. So I feel like that kind of brings it back too to make it very personal. And then another, there was an actor in the movie who worked with his dad. Oh, I didn't know that. That's so cool. Which adds another layer. And then like the scene where they're at the fire and the firefighters are going in and putting out the fire. I feel like that is so visceral for him to experience and to like bring back these memories you know PTSD and relating to his problems with mental illness today in the film so I think that was surprising. I think that there are a lot of surprising and unexpected elements to it and as someone who doesn't love every Judd Apatow film I thought this one was one of his best ones that I've seen and you can rent this for $19.99 on VOD and that price might sound a little steep so if you want to see this I think it's worth it. It's less than I would spend going to the theater, but also it will probably be on streaming soon. So you can wait for that too. So those four are done. We know a lot of other VOD movies have come out during COVID and we just kind of wanted to rapid fire through them because both of us haven't seen all of them, but we just wanted to, you know, shout out a few titles to let you know about them. And there's a wide genre of films here. So We'll give it a nom or a bomb. (laughs) (laughs) Can't wait. So the first one, 7,500, which is on Prime, starring mostly just Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I'm going to say bomb, unfortunately. (laughs) So I did write a review on this. He's a pilot and essentially terrorist just try to take over the plane. If you like thrillers, you might like this. Still, it's a bomb for me, but it's really not that long. It, it is on Prime if you have that and want to watch. Next one, The Willoughbys. Do you know what this is? Have you seen it? I have seen it and much <laughs> to my dismay, it was not a British period film about an aristocratic family. It was animated, but I will still give it a nom. I'll give it a nom. It's not horrible. There's a good song in it. It's got some good humor. It's kind of weird where it takes it, but it's fun. My Rudolph is the nanny, so that's just kind of a fun little Yeah, I think it's cute enough, too, if you have kids and want to throw on an animated movie on Netflix. This one's easy, and it has a pretty fun voice cast. 
So right. that's always a good thing. For our next one, we have Bad Education, which was released straight to HBO. It won't be eligible for your traditional movie awards like the Oscars since it didn't have a theatrical release planned. But this is definitely getting a nom from me. It follows the superintendent of a school district in Long Island who has gotten a lot of praise, but a student reporter actually finds out that the superintendent and his assistant are embezzling money. And this film is really anchored by two strong performances by Hugh Jackman and Allison Janney. I loved this one. Definitely a nom. So while it's not eligible for the Oscars, it is for the Emmys. And that's a big push for me for it to win TV movie at the Emmys. So I'm hoping it does. Really the only other big one there is El Camino. And this one, Bad Education, Far and Beyond. Just the performances are great. The style, the pacing, everything is well done. And it's a true story. So it's just incredible that all of this happened. And it's very fun to watch. So if you have HBO, whatever platform you have of HBO, it's there. Watch it. Highly recommend. (laughs) Right. Whichever HBO you have, it should be on there since it's their original content. Our next film that we're going to talk about, Rapid Fire, is The Assistant. The Assistant is written and directed by Kitty Green, and it stars Julia Garner. And I think this is my favorite film of the year so far. Oh, wow. Yeah. So definitely getting a nom from me. I just found it to be a really impressive thriller that was expertly paced and I loved how we never actually saw the villain of the story he was hidden away so everything that we experience is through the eyes of this assistant played beautifully by Julia Garner and I think it is an expertly crafted Me Too era film I will place a big trigger warning on this for Mm -hmm. workplace harassment it is pretty harrowing and challenging to watch at times, especially there is a scene with Matthew McFadden from Succession and, of course, Pride and Prejudice. And that is just a really dark look at who's on your side and what these sticky, awful workplace situations can look like. Uh, Julia is incredible. Definitely a nom for me. I can only imagine how this intern slash assistant position is for these people, especially in the film industry, especially, you know, it's hinting at the Harvey Weinstein and how she is basically in control of this whole office and his schedule, but is treated so poorly. And everything she does, she has to do with such an exactness. Oh, yeah. And just the standards that she's held to and... Like you said, how exact everything has to be just makes you feel that much more tense as you're watching the story unfold. And it does just take place over the course of one day. So you don't see a ton of story happening. It's just little clues and threads that happen throughout, which I thought was a really cool way to tell the story. So you can rent this on VOD. I definitely, like I said, recommend it especially since it came out earlier in the year and I'm worried that it's not going to get the awards love that it deserves. And the next one that we are going to talk about is another smaller film that was directed by Eliza Hittman and that is Never Rarely, Sometimes Always, which follows two girls, Autumn and Skylar. They're both cousins. Autumn is 17 and she has an unexpected pregnancy and she needs to get an abortion but doesn't have local support so she travels with her cousin Skylar to get an abortion in New York City. This is definitely a nom from me. I loved this film. I found it to be completely compassionate and I think it should be included in the curriculum in every sex education class in America honestly. I absolutely loved it too. I mean going off what Skylar has to endure Initially, she sees this man at the grocery store that they work at, and he has all these party materials, and he like hits on her, says, oh, do you, you, know, you want to come after your shift is over? No, obviously not. And then the guy on the train later on, where it's just them two girls, and he's like watching them and starts to touch himself. It's like so disgusting. So the things these two teenagers have to go through is just, it's just a metaphor for the struggle that women have to go through constantly every day and you know it relates to abortion and that the men are making these decisions for them and they really shouldn't be 
the bonds between all the women in the movie, I think is really cool how she, you know, she has multiple people holding hands at different parts that are really important. It was very empowering, very realistic, definitely a nom for me. And I loved how she was, Eliza Hitman is very clear in that the choice is always Autumn's. And I really loved that about this film and why I think it should be included in curriculums. So you can rent this also on VOD. Definitely support this wonderful little indie film. What's next, Nick? Okay, so our last rapid fire mention is Baccarat, which tied the jury prize at Cannes last year with Les Miserables. Oh, I really want to see this. A very bizarre picture. It's hard to even put into words. It's a very political piece about the citizens of the small city, Baccarat. If you haven't seen it yet, I recommend not watching the trailer. It's just one of those pictures that going in blind is actually so much fun because these weird things happen. It has a very deep-seated political commentary, but it's fun how things play out because you really don't expect what's going to happen. There's a lot of action. gets a little gruesome, but I definitely recommend it. It's a big nom for me. You can rent this one, I believe, on Prime or YouTube. I know it's out there somewhere. So if you do like foreign films, then definitely go watch it. Well, I am so intrigued and ready to watch this. Thank you for giving me a recommendation for tonight. And I will not watch the trailer, even though I want to. (laughs) I'll take your advice and we'll go in totally blind. And now we've covered all of our VOD films that we wanted to talk about today. I think we can both say that there's a really good variety here. Some we, of course, loved more than others, but all I think are worthy views to check out depending on what you're in the mood for. Not necessarily Oscar content, but still worthy nonetheless. And I think we've mentioned this before, the Oscars don't really award a lot of the movies that it should. So we'll definitely be seeing some of these at the smaller awards shows like the film independent spirit awards for sure so i'm excited to see how next year plays out and who knows maybe with the weird year that we're having we will get some vod nominees at the oscars next year so thinking ahead to upcoming episodes we are really excited that some of our favorite films actually have anniversaries this year so we are going to be covering some of those as those anniversaries come up and next week we will be going into one of our favorite movies of all time and a great summer movie, A League of Their Own. Absolutely love this movie. Classic. Such a great movie. And if you haven't seen it yet or if it's been a while, you have a week to watch it before our next episode comes out. Highly recommend that you do that. And even though I know the 4th of July weekend will be coming up after this pod and that's kind of what we wanted to stick with is like this American theme. There's also Independence Day's 24th anniversary is July 3rd. So maybe we'll mention it but still a fun watch for the weekend. Thank you everyone for listening and we will see you next time for A League of Their Own. Bye.